0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Hey, good morning, OPCC. Uh, If you are with us here, I just want to say thank you for being here. If you're with us online, thank you for watching. My name is Grant Ford. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And so that means I get the privilege of serving the church and helping us learn and be equipped in ways to hear from God, obey Him, and make Him known. And this, uh, this week, Pastor Jimmy, he's out, he's hunting, and so we bless him in that, and we hope that he's just really refreshed, he's had a lot of fun. Um, but I've been asked to talk about discipleship, and so I'm going to do my best to take about two weeks' worth of information and get it in the next 30 minutes. So that's going to be the journey we're heading on this morning. Um, and I'm excited because I believe the Lord is directing us as His church in a new phase of discipleship, And we're going to learn all about that, and we're going to get to unpack that together this morning. Uh, But with today being September 11th, we did just want to take a moment and recognize and and remember those who fell, those who we lost, as well as honor those who served our country during that horrific time. So if you would, would you please bow your heads with me as we take a moment of silence together? Holy God, we... We come to you. We ask that you would heal us. You would heal our nation. You would heal us as a people. Lord, 21 years ago, we saw destruction. We saw chaos. We saw unleashed terror on our country. And Lord, we just pray that you would bind up our wounds and that you would heal us and you would unify us as a country and as a people. And in that healing, Lord, I ask that you would help us to love our enemies. Lord, sometimes that's impossible to think about doing, but we want to be your disciples. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be working in the lives of our enemies to bring them to repentance. And that, Jesus, you would reveal yourself to them just like you did to us. And that you would save those people just like you saved us. And Father God, I I just invite your Holy Spirit into this morning, into this time together. We're your church and we're not here to listen from me, we're here to listen to you. And so we just, we make way for you, and we ask that you would speak, and that we would listen, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for the past month, Pastor Jimmy's been walking us through the book of Romans, and we've covered the first three chapters, and needless to say, it's been pretty easy and light. No, it's been very heavy stuff. We have seen just the destruction of sin, this cycle of depravity, how a little twisting of the truth leads to further and further brokenness in our lives as well as the world. And I think Jimmy's done a really good job in highlighting the two main points that Paul's been making in the first three chapters. The first being that because of sin, we've all equally earned God's condemnation. We're all guilty in God's eyes. And it doesn't matter if your sin looks different than mine. We're all equally guilty. And because of that, Paul and his writing, if he were writing it today, it would be in all caps. It would be bolded. And he would be saying, stop judging each other. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. We're all equally sinners. We've all equally fallen short of the glory of God. So knock it off. That's what Paul's saying. The second thing is that because of sin, the only way that you and I are made righteous in God's eyes is by putting our belief and our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ and what his life, death, and resurrection accomplished. And it's not what we bring to the table, but it's about putting our hope in Jesus. That's what makes us right in God's eyes. And so it's in that area that Paul says, therefore, boast in the Lord. Boast about what he's done, what he's accomplished for you. Because that is what unifies the church. And the church at Rome, the Jews and the Gentiles were not getting along. They kept bickering and kept going back and forth saying, no, we should lead. No, we should lead. And this is why, this is why. But Paul says, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And it's only Jesus. It's because he perfectly kept the law that we are made righteous. So let's boast in him and let's be unified as a church in that. And that's where we've been for this past month in the last uh, three chapters in Romans. But today we're actually going to pause we're going to pivot over to the Gospel of John, and we're going to hear from Jesus all about discipleship, what it means to follow him, what it means to, to actually be his disciple. And we're going to learn from the Master today. I'm excited. I'm excited because the Gospel of John, or maybe the Gospel according to John, thats a better translation in the Greek, it's, to me, maybe the most dynamic, powerful, amazing book of the Bible. Now, they're all good. Okay, I, I, I got to say that. They, they're, they're all good, but... The Gospel of John, it's like the Kansas City of barbecue, all right? It's really, really good. And uh, it's because we see John portraying Jesus in some of the most intimate and theologically deep settings and aspects. And we only see that in his Gospel. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples who followed him everywhere. But more than that, he was in Jesus' inner circle of three. There were Peter, James, and John. And there would be times when Jesus would actually take these men and have them only witness certain miracles or receive certain teachings. And so, John, he's just got this unique take, this unique perspective. And that's why I like the book so much. John is probably writing to a congregation in Ephesus where he was a pastor later in life. And he's being moved by the Holy Spirit to write down an account of Jesus' life and mission as it pertains to his church, to his followers. But not just for those in Ephesus, but for us today. And John, he's had decades, actually, of being able to comprehend and meditate and marinate on all the little things Jesus did, as well as the big stuff. And so that's what we get to jump into. And what I think is so cool is that John actually labels his his account of Jesus' life as the gospel. It's this Greek word euangelion, which it literally means good news. But it's more than just good news. We don't really understand the significance maybe here and today. But in Jesus' time, when there was a new Roman emperor, a euangelion would go out across the Roman Empire. And it was to tell everyone everywhere, good news, there's a new king. And then everyone in the empire, their whole allegiance would have to shift and be a part of this new emperor. And so for me, what I think is amazing is that John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke their claim is monumental. They're saying that the account of Jesus, he is euangelion. Everyone, everywhere, good news. There's a new king. There's a new Lord. That's the book we get to jump into today. I'm excited, church. Are you excited? Here we go. Here we go. So uh, that's some of the context. That's a baseline understanding of John. And we're going to jump into actually now chapter 8, verses 28 Through thirty six, and we're going to see Jesus. He's having this discussion with the Pharisees here, but before we get to that, before we read it, I'd actually invite you to stand up. Would you please stand up at this time? This is an older tradition. This comes right out of the Old Testament. In Nehemiah, we see God's people having come back from captivity. They're they're all together, and Ezra the scribe begins reading from the Book of the Law, and God's people stand in honor because their King, the Lord, is speaking. And he's speaking to us today, church. So this is John chapter 8, 28 through 36. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. This is God's word. Please, uh, please be seated. <clears throat> so the context of John chapter 8, this passage we just read, is actually Jesus with the Pharisees and they're meeting at the temple. And the temple was the central religious location in Judaism. The temple was where God designated to meet with his people, where they could experience his presence. But even in experiencing his presence, they were pretty limited. The temple was, was built by sections, and so you, only certain people could enter into certain sections, depending on what, what the rules were. But where we have Jesus and the Pharisees in this passage, they're in a part of the temple where both men and women and children, they could all gather together. And Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees during the festival of booths the Festival of Tabernacles, which that was like, it was a party. It was a week-long celebration. To me, I liken it to when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, businesses closed for the day, schools took off for the day, and everybody in their family, if you could in Kansas City, you met downtown and you celebrated the Chiefs. And we had parades and we hung out and it was a party. And that's what's happening in Jerusalem, actually. For a week-long event, it was required that every single male in Israel had to go to Jerusalem. And so these guys are bringing their families. And during this week, they would construct these temporary shelters, these booths. And it was a time where they could eat in them, even sleep in them. And it was was to help them remember that God had taken them out of Egypt and he had led them through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they had these temporary shelters, but it was all along the way to get to the promised land. So it was symbolic. It was, was, this festival was showing that God's presence was, was with his people. And the coolest part, during the Festival of Booths, in this area of the temple, there were four huge menorahs. They are about 75 feet high. These are like seven branched candelabras, way up in the air. And during the Festival of Booths, when they would light them, historians say that the whole city of Jerusalem was illuminated. And so it's in this backdrop where Jesus is with the Pharisees. There's a party going on. Everyone's there. The place is lit up literally. And this is where Jesus in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. Could you you imagine a better spot? A more poignant place where Jesus begins revealing his identity to Israel. And by saying, I am the light of the world, he's not just saying I'm a positive guy. I'm I'm a force for good. He is saying that I am the spiritual authority, not just for Israel, but for the entire world. And in this passage in John chapter eight, Jesus goes on to say that anyone who follows him, who becomes his disciple, they won't be in darkness. They won't be in spiritual darkness, but they will have the light of life residing in them. And so after Jesus makes a statement like that, the Pharisees are there. They challenge Jesus's testimony because Joe Schmo shouldn't be making a claim like that. Only God could be saying something like that. And it's ironic, right? The setting, there's light. Jesus is the light of the world. And these elite teachers of the law should have been the first to recognize them, but they're in spiritual darkness and they don't see the light. So this is where we come to verse 28 and 29 of our passage. And for us, we're really gonna see Jesus illuminate our example for discipleship. Read with me in 28 and 29. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the father has taught me the one who has sent me is with me he has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him jesus in verse 28 he's actually pointing to the cross he's saying when the son of man is lifted up when he's exalted it's this reference to the cross and it's also a reference to daniel 7:14 where it's depicted that the Son of Man, Jesus, approaches the Ancient of Days, the Father. And we're told that the Son of Man is given dominion over all people. He's given all authority, and he's given a kingdom that will last forever. And so in verse 28, what Jesus is saying is that when I, the eternal king, am lifted up on the cross, when I die there, then you will know that I am. In the Greek, it's not I am he, it's just I am Jesus is saying, I'm Yahweh, I am God. And you're going to know that when I'm lifted up on the cross. And then in verse 29, what we see, we don't really understand it maybe in our day and age, but some heavy discipleship language going on. Jesus is saying that he's really like the disciple of the Father. The word disciple in the Greek is mathetes, and it means follower, it means learner, it means student but I don't think those are probably the best words in conveying the full meaning of what it meant to be a disciple back then. Because we're not just talking about following someone else on Instagram. Really, the best contemporary word is probably apprentice. And so in order to be an apprentice or to be a disciple in Jesus's time, you had to have the best resume, the best references, the best character, the best family. And even if you had all those things, you had to have someone invite you and call you to be a disciple of them. So if you were chosen, if you had your life together, and someone wanted you to be their disciple, you would in turn have a rabbi, you'd have a teacher, you'd have a master that you would then go follow. And wherever the master went, you would go. And whatever the master said, you would take note of. Whatever the master did, you would observe them. And as you saw the rhythms of their life modeled to you, you would start implementing those same practices so that one day, You could do what the master did, do what your rabbi taught, and in a sense, become like him. And with the hope that maybe, maybe one day you could train other apprentices, other disciples to become like a master. And that process would go over and over and over again. And that's similar to what we do today, to some extent. Like if you take an apprentice plumber, they're going to have a journeyman, they're going to have a master plumber that they go with. And wherever that master plumber goes, they'll be there. And they'll watch how the master plumber does it. And they'll see the tips and the tricks. And they'll have this on-the-job, hands-on training so that they can actually do everything the master can do. And in a sense, become like them with the hope one day of training other apprentice plumbers. And that process will repeat over and over and over again. So look again at the end of verse 28 and 29. Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the fathers taught me. The one who sent me, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Do you you start to see how Jesus is describing himself as the Father's disciple? He only says what the Father tells him to say. He's always mindful of God's presence, that, that the Father is with him, and he only does what pleases the Father. He only does what the Father wants him to do. And in this, we, we realize that Jesus actually didn't come to earth with his own plan of how to live his life. He didn't come here thinking he knew best, but he humbled himself. Jesus submitted to the Father. And I think we get this glimpse. It's this picture of Jesus listening. He listened perfectly to the Father. And it's through this listening that Jesus becomes an apprentice of the Father. And we come to know who God the Father is. John 1 says that no one's ever seen God the Father, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and in closest relationship to the Father, has made him known. In John 14, Jesus says that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So, how is Jesus able to make such claims? It's because he modeled the Father to everyone through his apprenticeship, through listening, by becoming the Father's disciple. We've come to know the Father. And I love this about Jesus, church, because Jesus didn't just show up and hand you and me an instructional manual on how to be disciples. He lived it. He modeled it. He showed us that. And more than anything, he, he accomplished the law, but he gave us a picture of how you and I were meant to live as humans, created in the image of God. It's an it's a echo back to the garden, where man was with God and we only knew perfection. We only heard the voice of the Lord and obeyed. It's where we had this perfect relationship with the Lord. And in that we experienced joy, we experienced peace, the unbroken love of the Father whelmed up within our hearts. And it's, it's this picture that Jesus shows us. It's this invitation of, this is how we return back to the garden, by becoming disciples by listening, by apprenticing ourselves. And Jesus is showing that as he's doing it with the Father. And in verse 28, Jesus actually says, his apprenticeship is leading him to the cross and his crowning as king. That's where he's given the authority and the power. And I see that church and I just think Jesus is amazing. He's amazing. And we saw in chapter, in the earlier part of the chapter, the Pharisees are confused about Jesus' identity. They're, They're challenging his testimony. But look what happens in verse 30. Even as he spoke, even as Jesus started telling them this truth, many believed in him. Many believed in him. We're seeing the light of the world penetrating into the darkness. These religious leaders are actually starting to get it. And I think this is an amazing truth that, church, we get to hold on to today that just as Jesus's relationship to the Father, his apprenticeship, was a blast of light to these religious leaders, our discipleship with Jesus, our relationship to him, it's a light for all those around us. It's a light to the lost people in our lives, to our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors. Jesus said, if you follow me, the light of life will be yours. And when we start listening and follow Jesus, people see that light. They see Jesus in us, and they want that. And we have the hope that one day we'll get to train them on how to be his apprentice. So Jesus is our example for discipleship, church. And he actually lived as a disciple of the Father, and he accomplished that through listening, through listening. So now we're going to see Jesus shine some more light and clarify who his disciple is. Who is Jesus' disciple? Let's read verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is starting to focus on some of these Jewish religious leaders who actually were putting their faith in him. And very quickly, he's wanting to, to make known That initial belief in Jesus is not what marks us as his disciple. Just because they started believing Jesus was from God and that perhaps he's a disciple of the Father, that he has spiritual authority, Jesus says, that's not what marks you as my disciple. So who is a disciple? Jesus says, it's the one who holds to my teaching. Other translations say, remain faithful to my teaching or abide in my word. The actual Greek for holds to is this word meno. And it means abide, it means to remain. It's this picture of planting your roots in the ground so deep that you're never gonna move to another place. You're not gonna pick up one day and leave. It doesn't matter how hard it gets, it doesn't matter what others think, this is where you are gonna live and this is the hill you're gonna die on. And Jesus says, if you come and do that to my teaching, if you you have my message and my word and my lifestyle, if that's what you build your life on, then truly you're my my disciple. And Jesus is clarifying this point that his true disciples are those who continue listening to him, just like Jesus did with the Father. He listened, he heard the Father, he obeyed the Father, he put into practice what God wanted him to. And that's what made us, that's what made him a disciple of the Father and that's what makes us a disciple of Jesus. So think about even Matthew 7. At the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is clarifying and he says there are two kinds of people in life. Uh, and he says, there's, there's storms that came. One person heard my word, heard a lot of my word, but never obeyed it, never put it into practice. And the storms of life beat against the house and took it away, swept it away, destroyed it. And the other person actually heard my word and thankfully put it into practice. And so when the storms of life hit, this, the house stood. It was built on that foundation of Jesus's lordship. And so it's not just initial belief that marks us as a disciple, but it's a life cultivated around flowing from Jesus's lordship by apprenticing ourselves under him. It's implementing those rhythms that help us to listen, hear, and obey that constitute us as Jesus's disciples. And we can't forget that the whole goal of apprenticeship is to be able to actually do what what the master did so that we could become like him. So let's just take a moment. Church, what did Jesus do? He ate and drank with sinners. He proclaimed the good news. He got away from the busyness of life. He stood up for truth. He actually humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet. He, uh, he, he testified about God's power. He invited people into his life. He welcomed the marginalized. He gave food to the hungry. And in all this, we see Jesus centering his life around hearing and obeying the Father, And eventually that led him to sacrificing himself for you and me. Church, that's what our master did. That's what you and I, we have to be about. As his apprentices, as his disciples, that's what our lives need to be be going toward, be progressing toward. And the way we do it is by learning and being equipped with tools on how to be with Jesus, on how to do what he did, and to share him with others. And that comes from actually organizing our lives around listening to Jesus, letting him be the centerpiece, letting him be the Lord. And with that, we carry a hope that the people around us see Jesus and they want that. They want to know him. And then we get to train them on how to hear, on how to obey, on how to be his apprentice. Whenever I talk about discipleship, I think about my wife, Allie. Allie actually grew up here in Kansas City and she went to church every Sunday. Her dad was actually a worship pastor here. And Allie knew a lot about the Bible. She knew some deep theological truths. She probably even knew, knew like a, a word or two in Greek. But her life wasn't centered around hearing and obeying Jesus and being his apprentice. And she'll, she would be the one to tell you that as she grew up and she went off to college, her life really didn't look like Jesus. Wasn't a good reflection. But thankfully, she had people in her life who invited her into really hearing and obeying the voice of God. This idea that God is wanting to speak to you, not just on Sunday morning, but he's wanting to speak to you all the time. And so she, she took Jesus up on his promise that if she would really become his disciple, she would know the truth and the truth would set her free and her life would look a lot more like Jesus's. And so she started small but as she began to implement practices to help her become aware of Jesus and his presence, to actually hear him and obey him, her life started looking a lot, a lot more like Jesus. And she started realizing that God wanted to speak to her about where she should work, where she should live, what she should do with her free time, who her, her relationships, her friendships should be with, who she should marry. And obviously she listened really well, okay? She listened super well. Uh, and that led Allie to get to the point where she actually was willing to sell everything, leave her friends and family, be pregnant, have a one-year-old, and move halfway around the world to go tell other people about Jesus. And when I, when I see her example, man, I'm so proud of her. I'm so glad she's in my life. I'm so glad she's my wife. When I think about discipleship, I also think about this man named Andrew. He's actually someone I met just about three months ago, and he he lives in Kenya. He lives actually kind of in an outskirt part of the town, and he just got connected because he wanted to learn how to make disciples to make disciples, and so I took him through this model of training on, hey, let's learn how to hear and obey. Let's actually put into practice what Jesus did. Let's do that together, and so as we met for a few weeks, we, we started leaning in, and God really put it on his heart to go share the gospel with his neighbors. And that was something new for Andrew, but he listened, and he just stood there, and he invited other men in his life to actually pray with him, and just to see, like, is that what God's calling me to do? And as God made that clear, they went out. They obeyed. They took a Saturday. He said they took nine hours, and they split up in two by two, and they just went out, and they just wanted to tell people the good news of Jesus. They didn't want to debate with anyone, but they wanted people to know what Jesus did. And he told me over the phone afterward, he's like, you know, Grant, I really hope that maybe one person would give their life to Jesus. But he's like, what we saw God do was just amazing. 19 people decided not only to believe, but they wanted to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord. And he's like, that. and for me, I see that. And I'm thinking, what if Andrew didn't learn to listen? What he's missing out on? What about those people? What about those families? And what was so cool is he actually gathered them up a couple days later and started training them in the same thing that I trained him in, on how to hear and obey the Lord. And I think they started in John 10, which is just perfect, where Jesus, the good shepherd, he calls to his sheep and his sheep, his followers, they know his voice and they go where the sheep tells them to go. And they got to learn that. And to me, that's what discipleship is all about. It's centering our lives. It's learning how to do that practically day in and day out so that every part of our life We're listening to the Lord. We're wanting his input. We're wanting to follow what he says. So let's talk about some practical stuff as far as OPCC. We're beginning a new season of discipleship here. And I wanna be the first to recognize that the past model of discipleship, God did some amazing things. People came to the Lord. We actually have someone on staff Um, Rick, who actually came out of that old model, people were equipped, relationships were deepened, vulnerability was had, and I think what we've seen is there's a real spiritual DNA of intentionality here at OPCC, and that was God. God was faithful, and so as we transition into a new model of discipleship, we're wanting to build off of that foundation of intentionality and relational investment but we want to be able to offer every single person here a chance to be in a discipleship group because discipleship is never meant to be done alone. It's always meant to be done in community. So if you're a disciple here, then we want you to to really consider thinking about being a part of a group because if if we're a disciple and we're not a part of a group, it's like being a football player, but not being on a team. It doesn't do you any good to be a football player, but not to be playing on a team. And I think it's the same thing as far as discipleship. If we want to learn to to actually hear and obey and be encouraged and to be loved on and to practice the one another's that Jesus calls us to, that has to be done in a community. And Sunday mornings are so good here, but a Sunday morning is about equipping and empowering and celebrating what God did. And we just can't have the intimacy that's needed that you have to have in discipleship just on a Sunday morning. So we need these groups. Um, and with that said, I'll, I just want to explain a few details on the groups. They're going to be kicked off in October, and there's actually a link in your bulletin. It's a QR code. The QR code's probably up on the screen now. And you can just use your phone, hover over it, and it'll pull up the link for you. Or you can go to overlandpark.cc groups. Um, and we're, we're wanting everyone to really consider being a part of a discipleship group. And that's your application. The one thing I would love for you to do from this sermon is would you take a moment today and listen to the Lord and see if he wants you to be a part of a group. We're going to have men's groups, women's groups, family groups. So would you ask God and say, God, what kind of group do you want me to be a part of? And whatever the Lord says, would you you listen, would you obey? That's our first step in practicing faithfulness. I don't want you to just sign up because I'm telling you to sign up. I'm not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And so let's learn to practice faithfulness by carving out time, hearing him, and putting into practice what he says. These groups are going to be real simple. They're straightforward. They're reproducible, and that's, that's purposeful because we want anybody to be able to actually learn how to hear and obey, whether you're a brand-new believer or a seasoned disciple. We want you to be able to take this training and to be able to train others and not let it be too hard because if you have the best training in the world, but it's so complicated, it can never be passed down. And the goal of being apprentices, being disciples, is to train others. So with all that, my encouragement to you is take time, listen to the Lord, hear what he wants you to do. For some of us, some of the leaders here at the church, would you also consider, would you listen? Does God want you to be a leader of a group? Think about it and then hear from the Lord on that. Probably my wife and I will probably be a part of a family group, but that's because we love love seeing... um, Just Jesus' work on us at the same time growing together. It helps our marriage. It helps our parenting. But we need to actually ask Jesus, is that what he wants us to do? And as we put these things into practice, church, as we grow in this new model of discipleship, I really believe God's going to empower us to bear the image that he made us in. We're going to practice being what it means to be human. We're going to live the way God created us to live. In a sense, we will return to the garden and experience God and fellowship, and relationship the way we were made to. As we come and hear and listen to the Lord, we'll become his disciples, we'll be set free because we'll know the truth. So that's who a disciple is. It's it's someone who continues to listen to Jesus. Quickly, we're going to look at now who isn't a disciple of Jesus because he clarifies that too. After Jesus tells them, like, the truth is going to set you free, look what uh, the Jews say in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say now that we shall be set free? For some of the Jews here who had started believing in Jesus, this idea of being set free was a sticking point. And guys, this is hilarious because scholars go back and forth on what they meant by saying we've never been slaves to anyone. But if they're speaking from a historical perspective, it's a dumb reply. Because they they were slaves of the Egyptians, of the Assyrians, of the Babylonians, of the Persians, of the Greeks, and even in that current time period, they were under Roman control. So man, if they're thinking politically like they've never been slaves, they are a little misguided. Probably what they're talking about is that they are socially, currently, individually, not anyone's slave. So why is Jesus saying he's going to set us free? And they say in verse 33, Uh, We are Abraham's descendants. They're clinging to the spiritual fact that their their ancestor Abraham, he followed God, and he has the most authority in our faith. So who is Jesus now to come and tell us that he can set us free? But look at how Jesus responds in verse 34. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This phrase very truly in the Greek, it's amen, amen. It's a double emphasis on the fact that Without a doubt, this is clearly true. If you have ever sinned, you are a slave to sin. Sin's your master. And Jesus is letting him know. He's like, unless you're my disciple, you're not going to know the truth. And the truth is the only thing that can set you free. I think he's telling these these Jews that just because your, your ancestor Abraham followed God, that doesn't make you my disciple. That doesn't mean you're set free. Just because maybe your parents brought you to church every Sunday that doesn't mean you're a disciple of Jesus. That doesn't mean you're set free. Just because we even label ourselves as Christians, we say, yeah, I'm a Christian. That actually doesn't mean we're technically a disciple. Jesus says, it's the person who holds to my teaching. The person who builds their life, centers their life around hearing and obeying me and my word and my message, that's my disciple. And the person who does that, they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. So Jesus is wanting to clarify, I think for us today, that just because we say we're Christian, that doesn't mean we're actually a disciple. That's something we got to wrestle with. That's something we have to lean into. We have to ask God, have I just been calling myself a Christian? Or am I really wanting to be your apprentice? And let's listen. Let's engage the Lord in that. So really, so far in this whole passage, we've seen our example for discipleship, Jesus. He lived as a disciple of the Father through listening. We're truly Jesus' disciples if we continue listening to him. And that just because we say we're Christian, that doesn't mean we're actually a disciple. Unless we're listening. So now we get to the end of our message. And this is my favorite part. This is the promise of discipleship. And let me tell you, there is a promise. And it's good and it's sweet. And if you let it, it'll allow you to let go of your life and trying to control it and trying to be Lord, and trying to come up with the loftiest or the grandest ideas for yourself. And you'll want to take hold of the promise. Let's read verses 35 and 36. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed Jesus is giving the solution to our sin problem, just like he did in verse 32, but he's using this analogy to really illustrate what that truth is that sets us free. He says a slave has no permanent place in the household. It's the same Greek word that we looked at. It's meno. Jesus is saying the slave doesn't remain forever in the household, but the son, the child of the master, it's their birthright. They belong to the house forever. And what he's wanting to illustrate is that a slave back then, a bond servant back then, they were just a temporary worker. It didn't matter how well they did today. Tomorrow they could be let go, and they could be kicked out. And it didn't matter how much they served or how much they did. They could never earn a place in the family. But the son, he belonged there forever. So what's Jesus, what's he using? How is he explaining? What he's telling us is that we all are like the slave, because We don't belong to God's household because sin has been our master. But the son, Jesus himself, who belongs to the household, he can set us free. And so we have to ask church, how did he do that? How did he set us free? It's because Jesus perfectly listened to the father so that you and I can be free indeed. Goes back to verse 28. Jesus says, my apprenticeship, it's leading me to the cross where I will be crowned king. And it's there. It's because I listen, because I go there. I follow what the Father wants me to do. It's because I'm on the cross and I'm dying for you, that you are set free. And what's so cool is like, Jesus loved us enough to do that. (laughs) And focus on that, meditate on that. Don't let that just be something we hear every Sunday. Jesus was willing to listen to the Father perfectly so that we could be set free. And that, that, what that means is that sin, it's mastery, it's power, it's guilt, it's shame. Jesus wants to set you free entirely. If you feel its presence, if you feel its mastery in your life, if you're wrestling with guilt and shame, Jesus wants to set you free from that. And the way he accomplished it was because he listened to the Father perfectly. And today, church, if you're feeling that, you tell your sin, you tell the enemy that the Son set you free. That's the promise of discipleship with Jesus. Come, abide in my word. Follow me. Center your life around listening to me, and I'll set you free. That's the truth today, church. That's the promise. The son perfectly listened to the father, so we're free. I'm gonna go ahead and ask Sean to come up, and he's gonna lead us in this time as we prepare for communion. And brothers and sisters, I wanna just double clarify. The reason you and I belong to God this morning It's because of Jesus. It's all because of him. And on the cross, what we see is Jesus, as the son, is actually swapping places with you and me. He's taking the position of the slave so that we, like the son, could have a place in the household of God. Jesus is being kicked out. He's being kicked out of the relationship with the father on the cross so that God could welcome us in. He submits himself to death so that we could be free. From sin. And so, church, as we prepare for communion, we take these cups that are located on the back of the chair in front of you. We take this wafer that symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us. We take the juice that symbolizes Jesus' blood that purchased our freedom. And as we take it today, my encouragement to you, church would you just pause and embrace. And enjoy the Lord. Enjoy the fact that the Son sets you free, so you're free indeed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you were willing to listen, even though it led you to the cross. And Lord, we want to let go of the reins, and we want you to be Lord. You're so good. Jesus, you're so amazing. Don't let us lose sight. Lead us back to the garden as we apprentice ourselves under you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. It's all to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.